You're listening to the Entrepreneur's Agony Aunt podcast. Keeping it real, telling the story like it is, because there are no mistakes that somebody else hasn't already made. Hello, I'm Vicky Brock, and you're listening to the Entrepreneur Agony Aunt podcast. Joining me again this week is Kate Webb, owner and co-founder of Orbis Expeditions and the Responsible Safari Company. So welcome, Kate. Thanks so much for joining me again. How are you? Wonderful. Thank you. I recently returned from a visit to Malawi, where I joined a group working with some extraordinary entrepreneurs. And that, frankly, life-changing experience was made possible by Kate and her incredible team, both here in the UK and on the ground in Blantyre, Malawi. And I certainly don't say life-changing likely, both as a person and as an entrepreneur. um, It's had an incredible impact on me, actually, that I'm still processing. It's taken me a lot longer than I expected to kind of be able to write and blog and podcast about this because it's kind of been a depth of experience that I don't fully comprehend yet. Um, is, is that normal, Kate? It seems to affect people in lots of different ways. It was quite incredible, actually, your group. Um, I sort of thought it might be. It was quite a, a brilliant lineup of people with incredibly different experiences. Um, uh, yeah, changed me at a personal level, actually. <laughs> okay, interesting. That's really nice to hear, actually. And I think that I think maybe some people's objectives for doing it were to sort of push themselves and inspire themselves professionally. And I think that quite a few people have been touched on a personal level. They're not quite sure how to put that into words. And I think that's quite often the way. And I think that's quite often the way when you get more intelligent travellers, because it does kind of make you think about things a little bit differently, maybe. So I've decided to go for two questions this week. Uh, The first is actually asked by Kate herself. Um, I don't see why a guest shouldn't get a question. And she asked me, what did you take from the experience of working with the entrepreneurs in Malawi? And how is that applicable back to your life here in the UK? Um, The second was submitted via Facebook, but has also got to have been asked of me at least six times in the last six weeks, including at a plush university function and at 4,000 feet up a Malawi mountain. And it is, I have an idea, I have potential customer interest, I think I have the skills, but how do I get started when I don't have any financial resources? Where do I get the money so I can get started? So, Kate, we'll come back to the money question because it so closely ties into the first question that you ask of me. Um, yeah, how was Malawi and what did I learn about myself as a, as a person and as an entrepreneur? Um, I think probably however cocky and confident and composed I might have seemed ahead of this, I was really worried about some pretty stupid stuff actually i i was really worried that i didn't have anything useful to contribute i was really worried i was kind of going to be old and unfit and just generally 
un-Indiana Jones and un-rugged in every way, shape, or form. I was worried I was going to get malaria. I'm like the biggest um, biggest mosquito magnet on the planet, so I was completely convinced that every creature for, you know, a thousand miles was going to come and give me all sorts of exotic diseases. And then I actually wasn't organized enough to actually take my vaccinations, which I didn't dare tell you. So I really was armed only with my malaria pills. So I was kind of really worried about physical aspect of this the social aspect I mean like I was really worried about being locked up in a room with 14 women 24 hours a day because that is just not an experience I'm familiar with and I was worried about my own um capability to bring anything useful to this and useful to anybody else and I was just so desperate not to be some crusading westerner come to show everybody how it should be done uh, I really would rather cut my own head off than be that. So I was less confident that I'm than I might have seemed going into it. And I suppose what I took away from it was inspiration, um, but also kind of this personal sense of, you know what? Yeah, there were mosquitoes. Yeah, there were toilet pits. Yeah, you know, people threw up on my feet. And we kind of had like some pretty intense experiences, but that was amazing. And my priorities are definitely different. I do find myself changed at both a personal level, but also as a business level, I am reminded so much of how resourceful an entrepreneur I have been and I can be again. Um, And I think that actually is going to fit in quite nicely with the second question too. All of that stuff I was worried about, just I took in my stride and actually handled really well in a way that I don't, you know, I don't have children. I don't kind of have exposure to any of that stuff in my day-to-day life. So sort of getting up close and grimy with a bunch of strangers wasn't something I had any experience of. It's funny how you just, but I think that's quite often why people say to me, like, how do Dom and I work together? Like, how do we work together and live together? And yeah, it has its challenges. But one of the most, the things is that we've lived in Africa for so long where we've just been reliant on one another. And as much as Mm -hmm. you did have backup in Malawi, like you've always got our office there, the guides can always help you. You really are reliant on each other in terms of, you know, each other's culture, you know, you are each other's back up in a way in terms of emotional support and getting through things like being sick. And I think it was quite amazing how your group all came together, actually. At the beginning of the holiday, the when we were at the tea plantation, the lady that's the manager there, yeah. I was saying, yeah. she's saying what a nice group we were. And I said, yeah, I mean, I, we didn't know each other before we came. Well, not many of us did. And I was surprised how well we'd gelled and were working. And she said that there was another group in the lodge that we'd been in about two weeks before and it got completely lord of the flies. They like hated each other. They were all falling out. She said it was just awful. Oh gosh. Yeah, you see, I think that's also one of the reasons why I do talk to everybody beforehand. It's always a bit of a gamble, isn't it? But I think that I've, I've spoken to a couple of people before who I've kind of been a bit reticent about putting on an expedition because... Mm-hmm. They sort of, they were very, very strong in terms of, uh, yeah, I, I quite want to be the group leader. And and I think that one of the things that was quite amazing about your group is that I felt like everybody was strong in their own right, actually, um, confident. And I think in the run up, 
uh, I was a little bit worried. I sort of thought, oh, gosh, everybody wants to lead a workshop. Pretty much everyone said they wanted to lead a workshop. And I thought, I wonder how this is going to go on the ground. But actually, the thing that you all had in common as well was that you all knew about great skills like being humble and listening and the need to support one another. I think that was what pulled it all together, really. It was a very good piece of team balancing because you did have people that probably all did regard themselves as natural leaders, but the reason that they worked so well together is I think that they all they all knew when to step back and shut up and let somebody else lead in an appropriate situation. That really did work very well. And I think you don't always see that with groups knowing when the hell to be humble. But that was one of the questions that I asked everybody or I gained from everybody before was their ability to be able to listen and their ability to be able to be humble and I think that that is so important in terms of working with one another as a group, but also working with the Malawian women. It was really, really important to me that one of the biggest things that I wanted the Malawian women to gain was to have somebody that would listen to them. So when they talked about the challenges that they had with their businesses or when they talked about their families or talked about something, I wanted to bring a group of women to them that would listen to them and didn't come along with this mindset of, yeah, we're Westerners and we know best and this is how to do your business. I wanted to get a group of women together who wanted to to learn from them and wanted to listen to them. I think listening to people is so just so important. And I think that's what I wanted to bring to the Malawian ladies. I didn't want them to have another aid organisation coming in and saying, right, this is how you have to do it. And these are the documents and this is the format and this is how we do it. And this is great. I wanted a group of women that could come in, sit down with other women and go, yeah, it's difficult doing business. What are the things that you find dif- difficult? And I loved that from your workshop. Like your workshop was beautiful, the way that, sorry, I've got a child crying in the background. The way that so much of your workshop was spent just listening to one another, I think was really, really important. Giving the time and the space to the ladies to um, give them a forum in which they could talk about stuff. And also giving the UK ladies the time and space to be able to listen and that they're not going to be checking their emails. They're not going to be running out. They're not going to have family commitments or work commitments. Actually, this is just a day, for example, the workshop day where we're just going to spend time listening to each other. And that is the objective of the day. And I think that that was lovely. And if you have to come to Malawi in order to get that, then, you know, brilliant. I forgot to even say on it that we've still got two spaces left for September. I thought for me that was that was a profoundly important thing. So um, from the podcast perspective, how we did that day was, you know, obviously you had done a lot of work. You had pre-screened, you had reached out, you'd got people to apply for this opportunity to come and tr- people travelled significant distances. I didn't understand until I went to Malawi that just because something is only 70 miles away, doesn't mean it's close. I mean, it's just like a really long way away because the roads are really terrible. Um, and so people had travelled a long way, made an active effort to come work with us. And I think I went into that really, actually really worried that I wouldn't have anything to offer, that my entrepreneurial experience from a privileged Western position would be irrelevant but because you and I had done those calls in advance we'd done Skype calls with quite a few of the women I already felt I can see some places that I can bring value but more importantly I can see some places where 
by asking a few questions and let you talk to each other, <laughs> you're really going to get the value. And and I found that was quite fascinating how um, most of the challenges were the same challenges that the listeners of this podcast face, that you know, people that write to me through the blog face, that people when I'm out at accelerators and incubators talking about, it's like, you know, where can I get where can I get customers? How can I manage the logistics of my business? How can I grow my business when I have to spend first in order to sell second? And and I just found it really rewarding to be able to, A, listen to that, and then B, kind of be part of a process where people started jumping in and saying how they'd solved the problems, the same problems. And I think it was a Mary, the lady that has the samosa business. I mean, she like had grown this huge export business, um, exporting her samosas out to South Africa. She'd had to overcome challenges of packaging. She'd have to had to overcome challenges of refrigeration, which any British food production business has to overcome. But she'd also had to overcome that in a context like Malawi, where I had, didn't appreciate it until I got there. How the power is off and the, how the power is so unreliable. And she'd lost something like £100,000 worth of stock where she'd just done all of her months cooking and freezing and then the power went out for four days. And of course, all the Malawian women recognised that as a massive challenge to their business. But she'd had to overcome that in order to scale and she'd invested in double redundancy solar power and she'd built relationships with refrigerated lorry company and now she was actually providing additional power as services to businesses around her and creating a cluster because she got redundancy to overcome that that was fascinating for everybody to learn from that I thought I think actually for me listening to the ladies during that day I I never thought that what I'm about to say it wasn't an objective and I never had even thought about it but when Dom and I moved to Malawi and we set up our business what I would have done to be put in a room with people who had small businesses and to have a place where I could talk about our challenges and people could advise me for free or people could just advise me even if I had to pay for it and tell me the ways to navigate it and tell me simple ways in which to try and get more business or just to guide me a little bit would have just been incredible. And I think one of the biggest things with doing business out in Malawi is that for small to medium businesses, there's just no support and there's no um, there's no place that you can meet and listen and people can talk to you. And I think that that it is such an amazing opportunity. And, and you should be part of this WhatsApp group with these ladies now, the business ladies that you worked with. My phone, I actually silenced the group because the amount of times <laughs> that they talk to each other and they're like, oh, I registered my business today or I started my cash book today or I did my first Instagram post today or and the way that they're now working and they form their own network and they're also working with the Entrepreneurs Hub in Limby and they're doing so much stuff and I just feel like, if I had had that, if Dom and I had had that ability to be part of some group or something where we could have some support, because in Malawi, it's so you get so scared of doing it wrong because it's huge fines and you don't know really what you're doing and the law changes so much and you've got to be incredibly brave. Like we had 18 months of no fuel and as a logistics company, that's just a complete nightmare. 
you know, we had to mm-hmm. go over to Mozambique and Zambia in the middle of the night and get fuel back to Malawi. And just like with Mary, you know, you but you do, you learn this amazing initiative. And I think that that is incredible for the British women or the international women to learn is that taking risks and using your initiative and being creative with your business and not just thinking, OK, I've got a problem with this. How can who can I ask to help me with that? Thinking, okay, let's think outside the box here. How can we get around that problem? And I think that's what they've got, and perhaps entrepreneurial women, you know, in the developing developed world don't have, is that it's we're very kind of bound by this is the law and this is what we do. Whereas in Malawi, you have to think outside there and around it. Mm -hmm. I think that that's what this opportunity gave them. Whereas sometimes if you're dealing with like the World Bank and they're doing like a skills sharing training or whatever. It's just a standard training that they roll out and you're like, okay, you've got to pick it apart and make what works for you. But this was an opportunity to be able to go, okay, this is my personal problem. How can we help my personal problem as opposed to just a generic idea of business? Yeah. And it's very interesting because, well, see, the question for this episode is a really interesting one because it was asked by, I assume, um, a British entrepreneur via Facebook, but it was all also asked of me eight hours into the climb up Mount Melangi by one of the guides who also had a business on the side or was thinking about a business. And it's this question of how do I start when I've got no money or resources? I get asked this quite a lot. It was asked while I was in Malawi, having just come off just a day or two before from this workshop where people were being incredibly improvisational, incredibly creative around working around massive obstacles in a really inspiring way. And then I almost kind of gave a distilled textbook answer to that question whilst trying not to kind of die of mountain hatred um, (laughs) as I walked because the guide asked me this same question in exactly the same words as the person that submitted it through Facebook, which is, you know, I don't have any money. I've got this idea. I've got a few people that are interested in it, but how do I start when I've got no money and I've got no resources? And generally when I get asked that question, I know really the subtext often behind the question is, so please, will you give me some money and then everything will be fine. And it's interesting because when we did the workshop, it wasn't access to capital, really, that was their problem. It was access to customers and being able to get their product made and sold in the quantities that they could sell because there was a market opportunity there. And I wonder, you know, is, is it a question that you come across a lot? I mean, is it a question you faced yourself when you were first thinking about how to start at the very beginning it's a question we face all the time in Malawi from people who come and approach us not necessarily for business it's normally about I've finished secondary school I can't afford to go to university like can you help me or I can't afford Mm. to finish my secondary education can you help like they need money they need money Dom and I have a rule that we reply to every single email that we get from a Malawian um, and it's normally passing them on Mm. so which isn't meant to sound like we're passing the buck, but it's saying this is an organization that you can connect with to try and get something. Mm-hmm. Money is just the biggest, it's the biggest problem, really. Like you can have as much initiative and creativity as you want, but you know, if you can't pay your MR, you know, your tax bill that month, or if you can't um, pay your registration fee, then you can't finish your education. Oh, it's such a problem. I think in our case with our business, 
we had a tiny bit of money from Dom's family and we, we actually bought a car which was then written off by the garage that we took it to three days later they took it for a drive and they basically joy joyriding and they, they wrote it off so it was a disaster but um I think that in terms of for the Malawians I think like Patricia who's making her cakes it's doing it pangono pangono so slowly slowly like doing everything as slowly as uh, not doing it too fast and having lots of strings to your bow so if you don't have any money behind you then it's making sure that you have lots of things on the side and I know the most driven Malawians like the ones that work for us all study in the evenings they're all doing courses university courses or master's courses in the evenings and at the weekend and they have been since they employ us and we as a company pay half their fees we match any educational courses that our staff want to do that's I think the way that a lot of Malawians do it they further themselves but in their own time like their their time that they have to themselves the ones that are driven and the ones that are going to go places is doing courses it's spent on education every single bit of money is spent on education and I think that I think somebody like Farida's like a prime example. She had amazing education up until she was 14. And then she hasn't been to school since she's been 14. But she is so bright and she has such good initiative. And because she's been given such a good start in in education, she's able to, you know, join a company like ours and really thrive. But yeah, so I think that starting your own business in Malawi is about making sure that you have got a really good education and making sure that you work every hour that it is in your spare time from your normal job and put every bit that you can away to your savings. And I think that it's it's interesting because it, it's the the art of the hustle and the side gig and spinning as many plates as possible. It's being done by necessity. I absolutely see that. But I think it, it's something here. It's something that's directly applicable. I mean, I, I certainly, I mean, I started out as an entrepreneur at university. I was, I came from a, a state school in an area where nobody went to university. And I went to London, the most expensive city. And you had to have multiple side gigs. And I started my very first business typing other students' essays because I knew how to use a, a word processor. And so it was all profit margin. Um, and that was like my very first business, but it was beer and food business um, from my perspective. It was just a side hustle, but it was absolutely driven by economic necessity. And I do think that not having money shouldn't be the blocker to stop you being entrepreneurial. It should be the very thing that for which entrepreneurism is the response almost. And it's kind of like, how can I do what I do, learn what I need to learn, hustle what I need to hustle, acquire whatever I can, turn it that I just make a little bit, which means I can do a little bit more. All the entrepreneurs that that I know, all the business people that I know in Malawi who are starting to be successful are so focused. They're so focused and they're so determined not to get themselves in debt. And I think that is really similar to me as a person. I did my first business when I was 16. I just noticed that my local pubs had lots of tourist brochures in them, but they weren't being refilled. So I just sent an email, like it wasn't email, a post, like a letter in the post to all these businesses and said, I'll do your your dropping of your magazine, your, you know, your brochures or whatever, and I'll cost you 50p per drop or whatever I didn't really make any money but I didn't want to get into debt and I've spent my whole life fighting that I don't want to get into debt and I think that's the same in Malawi like the people that succeed and the people that do well are so driven and focused and determined and really think about 
each penny. And I think you're right, it is about necessity, but it's also about the fact that I, I think that they they really, really, really want to succeed. And, and that doesn't necessarily mean that they really want to be millionaires, but they really want to um, not not be in debt, I think. Independence point. and control over your own kind of economic fortune even if that's minimal it's ju- it's just the ability to determine your own fate i think um and it's interesting because malawi doesn't have access to business credit there is no de- loan rates so it astonished me it was like the 30 percent on the interest rates yeah and it's interesting because but also we pay between 30 and 40 percent in tax yeah. and everything yeah. everything we do is ridiculously it's all yeah i mean it's it's a lose-lose in terms of business in malawi like and then the flip side is that people get grants and then the government runs out of money so you don't so whereas like i built my business in the uk at the very beginning i was very lucky i got several innovation grants and they let me hire people and they let me build my ip we came across businesses didn't we where people had got quite substantial grants and had raised their half for the government to turn around and go oh sorry we've got no money anymore you can't have it and so i completely get why you just want to innovate as much as you can around the business model about the way that you're handling cash, the way you're being smart around this stuff to avoid debt. But it's also really common. I mean, I hate, I hate debt. Women entrepreneurs particularly often get dismissed as being risk averse. When they're not risk averse, they're debt averse. And it's it's interesting because but women tend to regard things like the house and their family assets as not theirs to risk they can't put that they don't feel they can put anything like that up as collateral against loans whereas male entrepreneurs in some cases are a lot more comfortable in putting household and family assets against it so what you do see is these really different business models evolving and you often get women-led businesses, I think, being dismissed as lacking ambition and lacking the ability to scale because they have to do it organically. And they have to do it organically because they're desperately avoiding debt. So they have to take a little bit of money, make a little bit of profit to reinvest that back in. And we saw that, but I see that all of the time in Scotland and I see it in the UK. And I, I do sometimes think that the association that we've started to create between entrepreneurship and investment and venture funding and equity and raising lots of money, like raising money is the prerequisite to start because raising money is not your prerequisite to start a business. Sell something, get customers, prove something. If you need to raise money to scale, do it. But I think the scariest bit though, Vicky, and I think everything that you've said is so true. And I think that certainly in our business, Dom is much more willing to take risk than I am. And I, I will take risk on ideas. Like I will be really brave and be like, let's try this. And I will go with that. Whereas, but if it te- comes to taking loans and things like that, I am terrified of doing that. And I think that holds us back. And I think that, but I think it's one of the things that I find really dif- difficult. And I think that for Malawian women, it's the same. It's, is knowing when to take the risk, when to go, right, I'm going to do it. I'm going to take that money or I'm going to go with a new idea or about being brave and I think that again if you've got support behind you in terms of mentoring or I don't think necessarily has to be financial support but I think if you don't have that financial support then I think having a business mentor support I think 
it makes you feel so much better because you get to go, am I bonkers to think of this? And they go, no, you know something? No, this is a really good idea. And I think that's what we're trying to do with our business or what I'm trying to do. Because I think that Dom, as I said, is much better about going, Kate, let's just do this. Let's take a bit of money from here and do a bit of here. Whereas that terrifies me. Whereas I try and surround myself with people who are brighter than me and go, okay, I'm quite scared about doing this. This is what I think we should do. Am I balmy? They say, no, actually, that's a really good idea. And I trust those people to tell me when the idea's rubbish or when it's not rubbish. And I think that that's the way I would prefer to spend the money on sort of human capital theory, but surrounding myself with staff that are able to sort of advise us. I think that that is really important to growing your businesses, to be able to have support. And I think that's what we didn't have in Malawi. Like I didn't know one person who had a small business in Malawi when we did. Everybody worked within the aid industry. And that terrified me because they have the support, this huge support behind them. Whereas with us, I just didn't know what we would do if one of our vehicles suddenly was written off and we needed to buy another one for a trip coming the week after. And the insurance, you know, didn't turn, it turned out to be fraudulent or something went wrong with the Malawian system, you know. And I think that is scary. And I think that's what the Malawian ladies are facing all the time. And like with Trinitas, with her sanitary pads, you know, it's actually lovely what's going on with her at the moment because one of our clients who comes out every year said to me a couple of weeks ago, Kate, I want to do this project for reusable sanitary pads and I need 150. And I said, I know just the lady for you. So got in contact with Trinitas. She then talked to Caroline about some financial advice. They put together a plan and now they're doing business, her and this lady. And so it's a lovely full circle of support and it just feels good. It feels nice and it feels like nobody's being exploited or, yeah. And so I think having that comfort, if you don't have money behind you, but of having clever people who are able to help you or support you. It's really interesting. You mentioned that particular example with with Tina Pads. Um, I had a session actually with Trinitas this week talking about how she can position herself and capitalise on her personal expertise and be the thought leader in that space and keep jumping in on conversations that are already happening and presenting, flagging up that there's more to the problem and flagging up why she's the solution. And that's apps, that's absolutely applicable to all entrepreneurs everywhere. When you have got no marketing budget, when you have got literally no cash, you can't be doing PR and marketing in the traditional way. You've got to be like really clever about looking at all the places where the conversation is already happening within people that are your target and then just jumping in. I mean, I did that with my last business. You know, I didn't know anything about retail or returns at the very beginning of it. And by the end, well, now I'm kind of this expert on returns because I just said the same thing over and over and over and over again for five or six years. I just kept inserting myself into this conversation and it worked, but it was done from entire necessity of not having a marketing budget and not having a marketing team, not having anything to work with, not having any cash up front. So therefore you've got to exploit these opportunities wherever you can. Even if you do have a bit of cash, I think that some of the most dangerous, some of the most dangerous decisions come. And, and one of our guides said this to me, some of the most dangerous people in Malawi are people who have got a huge amount of money with their businesses, but they've got such low education or they don't they don't have the right people around them and this is what the biggest problem in Malawi is it's ruled by big businesses that are managed incredibly badly 
So the infrastructure and the way that you deal with them is so difficult. I think even if you've got money behind you, you still have to have expertise to be able to guide you of how to what to do with that money. Even if you have an amazing, amazing marketing budget, you could completely mess that up. You've still got to think carefully about it and you've still got to surround yourself by people who can help you um, and advise you. And I think I think we've got a really small marketing budget for our company, really small. We really rely on people who've traveled with us before and people who who work part time for us, advising us and helping us. And we pay them well, but we we know we don't have the budget to be able to employ like a marketing company or something like that. We have to kind of And it would be appropriate you did. And I've had this conversation even today. I've had I've had two conversations today, one about somebody else's startup and one about my own. Um, and it's interesting because my own new startup is I'm working with people who've done multiple they're, they're serial entrepreneurs, they're serial founders, and they've lived through all of this. Whereas the other startup I was advising today is a first time founder. They were asking me questions about okay, well, I need to um, raise some money right now at the beginning so that I can bring in somebody to be my FD, and then I can bring in a CTO, and then I can bring in a marketing. I'll, they'll need marketing budget, so I'm going to need at least two hundred thousand pounds before I start. A, you're not going to get it, but B, no, don't do that. Roll. Imagine. I mean, a lot of us have done this from the position of having no money, and I would say it's really good discipline to do this with no money. Um, but you've got to figure out who's going to buy something, sell something, sell anything, get the cash in, then make it. I mean, every working capital and business models are unsexy, but the best businesses on the planet get their money in before they spend it, and. That's why they are the massive machines that they are. And anything that that can be done at all, any step in the process of getting your cash in before you deploy it means you have a business. I really do regret in my last business allowing, allowing myself to be enticed by the Silicon Valley myth of go raise all this money and do it at scale. Because if I'd ignored that, you don't have... This is one thing like Dom and I, we launched our company and and did everything with just this tiny bit of money, which then was wasted because of the car crash. But And we took a punt and said to all these people on our website, this is what we can do. And in our business, in a way, we were able to do that because our lead in time is like a year, 18 months or whatever, like six months minimum. But people would then say, yeah, no, I'm going to come to Malawi on one of your trips and here's a deposit. And we were like, oh my God, we've got to make this work now. And I remember having the conversation with Dom going, like, come on, let's just go for it. And him being like, but we're not ready. We don't have a vehicle yet. We don't have this. We don't have that. We don't have any guides. I was like, we will. We'll get there. We'll do it. But let's just say, yes, we can do it. And I think we've done that all through our business is that the one thing that we haven't doubted is our ability to be able to deliver. Like with the women's trips, when I launched these women's expeditions, I talked about it for the first time, having just been in A&E for 24 hours with my daughter who fractured her skull, I'd had no sleep at all. I stood in front of 100 women and said, I've got this idea where I want to do some women's skills exchange and help women in Malawi support their businesses. And it just, you know, that idea then spiralled. And, and But I, I had time to then think about it afterwards and go, okay, deposits are coming in, right? What are we going to do? How are we going to make it work? And by looking at what I've got in front of me and going like, this is the group of people, I, you can, I can then make it work in Malawi. And I think that in Malawi, it's difficult in terms of the fact that you, there's no funding to apply for, which is good in a way, because you don't even need to, we never even contemplated ever borrowing any bit of money, because we knew it wasn't actually going to be viable. But it, it made us 
relied just on ourselves and our skill. And now when people say to me, Kate, how are you going to deliver working with Dame Kelly Holmes in October and running this amazing, this, you know, amazing challenge? How are you going to do that? So that's the one bit that doesn't worry me. Because I know when it comes to working in Malawi, we can deliver on the ground and my team are brilliant. That bit doesn't worry me. The bit that terrifies me, absolutely terrifies me, is how on earth am I going to make the most of this amazing PR moment? I have no idea how to get a journalist on board or how to get the Sunday Telegraph to write about what we're doing with Kelly Holmes or all of that stuff that goes on in the UK. No idea. I know how to get 20 hours so, running Milan. Take advantage of this opportunity and tell us what you need because I can tell you <laughs> this is a wonderful community. Most days people write to me and say they've heard something that's changed changed them and it's changed their approach to their current job or it's changed their approach to business. So tell us what you want, what you really, really want. Okay. What do I want? What I really, really want? Yeah, thank you again for the amazing opportunity. And yeah, I mean, the way I got Dame Kelly Holmes was speaking to her outside the loo after a meeting about something completely different. And I just thought I would punt. And I just said, ever fancy doing a triathlon in Malawi? And she said, hmm, why don't you contact my agent? Um, and so I did and just punted her an idea that's never been done before. And it's running in October 2018. And we've three, three to four months to pull this off. At the moment, I'm working with this amazing girl called Rebecca Broad, and she's at Exeter University. And she's incredible at marketing. And she's helping me try to put together a strategy. I've got till January 2020, where Dame Kelly Holmes has agreed to headline a new campaign called Sport with a Purpose. And it's about getting amateur athletes out to places like Malawi, taking on a huge challenge, but not just doing a challenge to actually raise awareness for nutrition and sport in Malawi. So they're trying to do a challenge, but with a purpose. Dame Kelly Holmes has agreed to do one broadsheet article for me, one major magazine article for me, a film and images and I can use all of that until January 2020. Now I don't know any journalists at all let alone someone that writes for something. I need a lifestyle, a big lifestyle magazine like Sunday Times. I need to find someone that's going to be able to come over to Malawi and do some filming and cover the expedition. I don't have a budget for that but for somebody I could pay their country costs when they've come out um, but they, they have huge kudos of then working with Dame Kelly Holmes and getting all that footage together. I need somebody to help me think of different ways in which I can try and get another sports celebrity on to run sport with a purpose next year and to headline another one of our trips and I need to just make sure that I'm not losing out on this opportunity where a major celebrity has agreed to back a campaign that I thought of in the middle of the night and she's agreed to come on one of our expeditions and come to Malawi and I don't want to just lose that opportunity and feel like every tweet that she sends out to her followers I keep thinking oh should I have got her to tag us in? Should I have got that to happen? And I just feel concerned that there's this amazing opportunity happening to our tiny company that I think that myself and Rebecca were putting together this social strategy that we can try and support what we're doing. But I am floundering and I'm kind of making it up as I go along, which has done okay so far. But if anybody is able to give me any kind of tips about working with people who endorse your products or pitfalls that I've got to be careful of or 
companies that we could possibly work with would just be amazing. Well, you're answering the question by living the question. How do I get started when I've got no money or no resources? You say yes. You say, I'm going to do this. You set yourself a big hairy goal. You get Dame Kelly Holmes to agree. You point her at a horrible mountain and you hopefully don't tell her how horrible the mountain is. And then you just go the for it and you open up your vulnerability as you had just have, and then you ask for help as you just have. And I can tell you, Kate, the help will come. You can point at, at me, hello at vickybrock.com. I'll put the links with the article. Creating this network, talking to other people, being vulnerable and listening is how this all works. Thank you, Vicky, so much. Yeah, so we're launching tomorrow and it will be at Orbis Exp is how we go on social media or at RSC Malawi on Instagram. We're also really big at anybody that's got any advice contacting us through Orbis Expeditions with the sport for a sport with a purpose campaign would be amazing. And just sharing what we're doing as much as possible is what we're all about and getting people like you, Vicky, out to Malawi and supporting what we're doing and learning that actually travel is all about just listening and being humble. And that's how you make waves, actually. So I'm pretty confident that all will be well. So <laughs> watch the space. Having been out with you guys and see what you're doing, is it's amazing. It's certainly changed my life. I'm sure it will change hers as well. And um, I'm definitely coming back to Malawi, but I'm not going anywhere near that bloody mountain. You've been listening to Kate Webb and Vicky Brock, this week's Entrepreneur Agony Aunts. As ever, you can follow us on iTunes, Spotify, and now on YouTube. My life.